church, as we continue to worship, I'm going to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18 specifically. And we're going to be in 1 Samuel 18. And we're going to reference not only chapter 18, but also through chapter 23. So just keep that section of 1 Samuel open. As I ask you a question and seek to answer it this morning, what is the true measure of success? Is it a position that you can attain in the corporate ladder where you come to climb the last rung of success and finally you have that view and you have that title? Is that the essence of success? Is success the financial security and wherewithal to be able to do what you want to do, where you want to do it, and whenever you want to do it? Is that the true measure of success? Is it the acclaim and the respect? Is it the sense of, of authority that you garner around your peers to they look to you and, and have uh, achievement and recognition that is heaped upon you by those that you work with and those that you associate with? Is that the true measure of success? Everett. Hale once said that the making of friends is the best token we have of a man or a woman's success in life. That the making of friends is the best token that we have of a man and woman's success in life. I'm not really sure that that fully encompasses everything that we would want to say about success. But it does point us in a direction that is true from God's word. That a well-lived life is going to be a life that embraces who God has created us to be and Every one of us that are here in this sanctuary have been created with a divine imprint upon us. The very Imago Dei, the image of God, Genesis 1, verse 27 and following. That we've been created in the image of a relational God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three and one, one and three. There's never been a time in eternity past where the Father was alone, the Son was alone, the Spirit was alone. There's always been this dynamic, reciprocal relationship of the Father loving the Son and the Son loving the Father and the Son and the Spirit loving the Father and receiving love. And this, this perichoresis is the word, it's this divine dance. The music is the love that keeps them in step, Father, Son, and Spirit receiving and giving love. And so you, me, we, we are created in the image of a loving God, a relational God, a communal God. And so a part of, of who we are created to be, to be people who love God and receive his love, but also extend that love to neighbor, to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And a part of loving neighbor are deep friendships that are forged in the midst of adversity and prosperity, deep friendships that are forged in the middle of the good days and the bad days. And to be able to count on one hand a, a few close friends is a part of the gift that God has given us in his divine providence and creation to create us with the ability and capacity to love in that way and to be loved in that way. Friendship is a gift. And friendship is something that is, is lasting in our culture. It's interesting to me that some of the most popular tokens of entertainment have been shows that are based upon friendship. Uh, the syndication runs will never end for shows like Seinfeld based around friendships, show like Friends based around friendships. Some of you are old enough in this very sanctuary to remember that sometimes you want to go to a place where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. 
And, and, and the premise is, is, like, this is true friendship here. It's interesting that when we think about the, the literature that will be read 100 years from now, whether it's the mid-20th century Tolkien's Lord of the Rings saga, what, what makes that something that endures? And it just seems to me that one of the elements that what makes it endure is the friendship that is at the center of Tolkien's vision uh, in the Lord of the Rings with Sam and Frodo. In the 21st century, J.K. Rowling's The Harry Potter Saga has added three friends at the center, Ron and Myony and Harry. And there's something about these friendships that, that strike a deep chord in us, that, that we are created to, to desire this and created to, to be in these kinds of friendships. But friendship is hard. Friendship is not paved in the Garden of Eden in your life and in my life. Friends fail one another and you as a friend will fail a friend. It's a part of the sinfulness that is embedded in all of us as, as we don't do this perfectly. It's interesting to me that when we're going through 1 Samuel, last week we, we fixed our focus upon arguably the most famous episode in all of the Old Testament, David slaying the giant Goliath. That episode was at the center of our attention last week. This week, I don't want us to look at one episode. I want us to look at a few episodes that, that forged this central friendship that is between, well, David and the most unlikely of candidates to be his closest friend, Saul's own son. Jonathan. Here, the word of the Lord in 1 Samuel chapter 18, as we see three characteristics of what a faithful friend looks like, a faithful friend, church remains loyal. Hear the word of the Lord as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. So Saul brought him in close to the palace. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. God chose David. This is one of the unique aspects of this story is that if you were to write this as, a, as your own monarchy and, and you trace the lineage of who's going to be the next king, it is obvious who the next king is going to be. It's one of Saul's sons. It is Jonathan who's to be the the king, but it isn't Jonathan who becomes the king because God had another plan. And God chose David, the most unlikely of, of Jesse's own sons. We looked at this in the first message where here is, is David who is out keeping watch of the sheep. He's not even invited to the, the selection of Saul's successor where the prophet Samuel shows up. And Samuel has to say to Jesse, do you have any other children per se here, because I'm not seeing the one that is going to be the next king. God has not shown him to me. Well, Jonathan realizes that the anointing of God is upon not him, but is upon David. And there is, there is a fear of God that Jonathan has, a reverence of God that Jonathan has, which is the birthplace of this friendship. This friendship is not first and foremost Jonathan just being a great guy, but it is Jonathan who fears the Lord 
and fears the repercussions of going against the Lord's anointed, which is not him, but David. His friendship is forged in the furnace of a faith in the God of David. And I think it's helpful for us to understand that in our life, we, we talk a lot about friendship. But verse 3 is a verse that reminds us that real friendship is a, is a covenant. And it is a covenant just not between you and another person, but it is a covenant that has God at the, at the center here. That word covenant in verse 3 is a word that is not easily translated into English. I mean, it is a word that is, is, is faithful love. It is steadfast love. It is, it is a word that endures. It's a word that reminds us that friendship, it, it defies challenges and trials. It goes through them. And a friendship is really a friendship when it, when it sticks with a person. You stick to a person in the midst of difficulties. That's going to be a part of David and Jonathan's friendship. Every time I think of, of this passage right here as I was preparing this message here, Jonathan's coming to David and he's really, in essence, saying, you got a friend in me. You've got a friend in me. And this whole time I've been listening. I haven't been listening, but in my mind, I've heard the Toy Story, Randy Newman's song that is going to make, you got a friend in me, you've got a friend in me, and Buzz Lightyear and Woody keep on coming in this. I can't help it but to bring it out here. But, but Randy Newman's words are real, like real words to the friendship that Jonathan has to have with David because if you remember the lyrics of that song, when the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your own warm bed and that is going to be as prophetic as any words that, that could describe the friendship of Jonathan and David. There are going to be some bad days for David that are ahead in this friendship here. Now, in our culture, we, we have devalued the word friendship and the word friends to, to describe what we really mean in this social media saturated world in which we live. A friend is really someone who has just passed through your life. Maybe you've intersected, maybe you're in proximity to. Oftentimes we use that word friends when we're describing followers on Instagram or we're uh, describing friends on Facebook. And the better word is sort of acquaintances, people that we have known, maybe don't know, maybe we've, our families have intersected, our work lives have intersected, and we have a knowledge of. But, but we really, if we're going to be honest, we wouldn't think that these thousands of friends that we might have in the social media realm are people that actually are true, lasting, loyal friends, Right? Proverbs in chapter 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. I think it's one of the reasons that we still read Tolkien's Lord of the Rings now decades later. Because at the center of this story is a covenant. It is a promise that Samwise Gamgee makes to Frodo. And if you're watching the movies or if you're reading the books, there is a promise that Samwise is making to Gandalf. And Gandalf, there's, there is a fear and a reverence, there is a respect that Samwise Gamgee has that leads him to sacrifice and leads him to go thick and, uh, through thick and thin for uh, his friend Frodo. At the outset of the novel, Samwise says, I made a promise, Mr. Frodo, a promise. Don't you leave him, Samwise Gamgee, and, and I don't mean to. I do think it's just a good reminder to us that true, lasting, enduring friendship 
is a covenant that we make with a person as God has given us the gift of that relationship, but it is God who gives that gift. And that friendship is forged under God's providence. And, and the reason we stick with one another is, is first and foremost, not because we're a great gal or we're a great guy, but there is a reverence for and a respect for God's providence over our lives and the way that he leads us and guides us. In every deep friendship relationship, there's always the Gandalf, and that Gandalf is always pointing us back to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So friends, they don't drop friends. They don't cancel friends. Friends stick with one another. Now, one of the central temptations that we're going to have is to ask, do I have these kinds of friends? One of the central temptations to ask, are are my friends letting me down like this? But I want to reframe that question with each of these points to say, how can I be a loyal friend to others? How can I go outside and, and pursue where God is leading me and the friendships that he's calling me to as our own Savior was a, was a friend? He was a friend to sinners. And God shows us in his son the way, the way Jesus, he, he exemplifies a friendship that is beyond the cozy and the comfortable. He calls us to the margins, even in our own life. And so the central question isn't first and foremost a question that is navel-gazing. Do, do I have good friends or do I have bad friends? No, the question is, is, is how can I grow in my loyalty to the, to the friends that God has bestowed on the journey of my life? A faithful friend, church, remains loyal. A faithful friend loves sacrificially. Jonathan is going to have to sacrifice so much out of the fear of the Lord and God's anointing upon David. 1 Samuel chapter 19 gives us a little hint of this. In verses 1 through 4 we read, And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. Now what is the motivation behind Saul's homicidal plotting here? Well, the, the reputation of David grows. And the Israelites begin to gather and say, Saul kills his thousands. But David is tens of thousands, and Saul is slip-sliding away here, and he's slip-sliding away into despair and desperation, and he wants, to, he wants to end the life of David because David is a rival. He's a rival not just to him as the king, but he is a rival to what he feels is he's passing the baton to his son. And so, so Saul is trying to protect his family name. He's trying to, he's trying to bring, consolidate the power here. And he's going against the very anointing of God. So this is the motivations behind Saul's homicidal plotting that is going to be the engine that really guides this whole story as we move forward. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. Again, this reiterates the promise and the covenant he made in chapter 18. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father. If you move on to verse 5 and verse 6, Saul hears from his son a very specific way that Saul should be grateful for David. And it's because David stood up and he stepped out. When the Philistine giant came and, and was cursing and taunting the people of God. 
And, and what Jonathan doesn't say, but what Jonathan is implying is, is, is dad, you remember what David did? He took your place. He did what you should have done. You were the leader. You're the one who were the, the most likely candidate to fight that giant Philistine by the name of Goliath. And David stood in your place. And here Saul relents for a moment, but him relenting will be short-lived. You see this relationship, this love-hate relationship that Saul has toward David. And then we come to this place where David is having to flee for his own life. Just a little bit later in the story in chapter 20, verse 28. You can turn there and look with me as we pick up the story. David is hiding away from Saul because Saul seeks to kill David. And Saul begins to notice that, that David doesn't show up at the palace. And Jonathan has to cover for David. And we pick up the story, verse 28. Jonathan answered Saul. And the question that Saul is asking is, where is this guy? Where is David? Jonathan says, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city. And my brothers commanded me to be there. So now if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? You're going against the family. You're going against the grain. What are you doing? I'm trying to preserve the, the dynasty and the lineage to not only you, but your children here, Jonathan. Verse 31, for as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. He is your rival, Jonathan. Why are you bringing him close? Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, in verse 32, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. I just want you to see the, the, the level of commitment that Jonathan has to David. He, he, his level of commitment is such that he is going to cover for David. His level of commitment is that he's going to plot with David to be able to protect David from his own father's, well, plottings and desire to put him to death. You know what Jonathan does is he displays sacrificial love. And again, that is a sacrificial love that is birthed out a, a deeper commitment that he has of, of the very authority of God. He, he knows that what his dad is doing here is not, just, is not just enacting his own insecurities by trying to, to kill his rival. He, he is actually going against the very will and purpose of God. And so Jonathan once again shows us a path of righteousness because Jonathan is choosing, he is choosing a motivation that is rooted in a awe and reverence and respect for God. And he chooses, well, he chooses to hitch his wagon to the anointed one David. 
And I do think it is helpful for us to know that as God entrusts us with friendships, a part of the way that those friendships are, are, are really forged is through the difficulty that you will go through and your friends will go through that, that knit your heart together. Now, this is an extreme example of a soap opera that, that you, could, you could turn into a multi-season drama, no doubt. But most of us, if not all of us, will have our friendship forged in the midst of times where we have to step up and step out. And we have to be the one who is willing to sacrifice comfort and convenience, has to be the one who is willing to show up in the midst of difficult times for friends. And those difficult times do not they don't, they don't come with a, uh, an assistant that is, that is trying to schedule the best time for that difficulty in your friend's life to happen for, for your convenience. It just happens. The car breaks down and somebody's got to be called. The diagnosis comes and it comes in the middle of the night. Death arises and arrives. And, and these types of, of dark nights of the soul that all of us go through, we thankfully, in God's providence, are not called to go through them alone. He calls us to be good friends. And he calls us to receive the love of good friends. I remember some of those friendships because friendships come in seasons, I think. Some friendships, they, they transcend the decades. Some friendships are, are very intense for a moment where we live the season of life and, and maybe we don't go in the same direction and we find ourselves decades later looking back with real gratitude for the friends that God entrusts to us. I have that kind of story with two of my friends who we still stay up with one another, but we don't spend as much time as we did because we, we, we went to college together. And not only did we go to college together, but these two friends, we came to Birmingham to enroll at Beeson Divinity School the same semester. And so we had seven years of life together and, and serving churches in part-time ways and, and being, uh, you know, having all of those meals that we shared together and all those conversations. And so it's probably not surprising to you that if you fast forward just a year after the graduation as we walk uh, the Drew Hodges Beeson Divinity School graduation and we go our separate ways and I go to New Orleans to start a doctoral program and start pastoring on the Mississippi Gulf Coast that a year later a little storm by the name of Katrina would come through and six feet of water in our house five feet of water in the church and it's in that moment that I think to myself who can I call and those two guys Ron and Nate the two guys I called, and they were serving at Liberty Park Baptist Church. Many of you are familiar with that church right here in the Birmingham metro area. And it was their church that was rallied in those early days of cleaning out the church and all of the difficulty and emotional weight that Danielle was feeling as she was pregnant with our oldest son during that time. All of it was, was carried by these two guys in a, in a wonderful church that loved us and cared for us right here in Birmingham. And God providentially used those friendships to be able to, to have people in my life that I could call in that difficult time and say, hey, I need some help. And they, they dropped what they were doing. I'm so grateful to the Lord. And I, and I think one of the reasons that I'm so grateful is I'm grateful because it was not convenient for them. It was not easy for them. 
I remember them just getting from Birmingham to where I was pastoring. And if you're familiar with the hurricanes, especially 10, 15, 20 years ago, they were oftentimes in the midst of this, there were these runs to the gas stations and so they're trying to make their way down here and, and all the gas stations are closed and they're out of gas. And it, I mean, it was, just, it was just difficult for them just to make their, the drive here. I remember we couldn't find a place to stay those first nights and we had to drive and all of those kinds of things. I'm sharing too many details here, but you get the point of the illustration that I give is that ultimately God places these people in our lives and they love us sacrificially, and we're the better for it. A faithful friend loves sacrificially. Finally, a faithful friend exudes. I know I say offers encouragement, but there's an exuding of encouragement that comes from friendship. We're going to pick up this story next week. But David becomes a man on the run from the heinous plotting and the minions of Saul as, as they're, they're chasing him, he, he is wanted dead or alive in every sense of that word. He, he, he really is wanted dead. And, and, and Saul wants to strike him down. And so David has this ragtag group of friends that he brings close to him. And they, they go into hiding in caves. And we pick up the story in verse 15 and 16 of chapter 23. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Zip at Horish. Verse 16, who shows up? Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish. I just love this phrase. I want you to hang on this phrase. Strengthened his hand in God. Jonathan is walking with God in such a way. God is loving God in such a way, Jonathan is, that when Jonathan is with David, even in the midst of, of, of the desolation of his life and the difficulty of his life, David leaves Jonathan's presence and he's strengthened, strengthened by God through Jonathan. And this is one of the gifts that God gives us in the friendships of life. And, and as faithful friends, we have to choose this because one of the things that we can do in friendships, we, we thankfully maybe have two or three people or one person that comes to mind. We don't need to think in terms of 10 and 20 and 30 and 40. This type of friendship are, are friendships that we can count on one hand most likely here. And if you have a few friends, you are a blessed person. But oftentimes with those friendships that we can become so cozy with them, we can become so comfortable with them, we can be so honest and trustworthy with our friends is that sometimes those friendships can become an echo chamber of negativity. They can become an echo chamber of critique and complaints. So sometimes you can find friendships that don't bring out the best in one another, but can sort of point out all the bad things that are going on in your life or the other person's life. And sometimes we need, the, we need the freedom to be able to vent, no doubt. We need the freedom to be able to be honest, no doubt. But we all need, we, we need someone in our life who, who pushes us and sees the best in us and ultimately points us back to God's gift of the next days ahead of us. This is what Jonathan does. He exudes encouragement and strengthens David's hand in God. You, you have the ability with your friends, no doubt, when they're going through difficulty, to bury them in their difficulty or to build them up in the midst of their difficulty. And God has called you to be a build-up kind of friend. 
So in my life, I can think of one pastor that I've just known. He's been a friend that I went to college with, and we just, we've got decades of life together. And he pastors in another state, but our friendship is still a friendship that is so valuable to me. And I can think of the times that he's passing through Birmingham or I'm passing through where he lives, and we make the time just to grab lunch together. I think of the phone calls that we share, you know, once a week, every other uh, couple of weeks, and we catch up. I, I think when one of the reasons that I go to things like the Southern Baptist Convention is because I, I see good friends, people that I've, I've spent a lot of time with. But, but he and his family, Danielle and I, always prioritize catching up with them. And those type, over, over decades and decades, those types of friendships, when I, when I leave that, that meal and when I leave that phone conversation and hang up the phone, there's always a sense of just, I thank God for him. And I hope you have those kinds of people. But again, the greater question isn't how, how, how well one to 10 are my friends doing in my life, but a better question is, are you willing and are you intentional to be the type of friend that exudes and offers encouragement to the friends that God has entrusted to you? Will you be that to others? Now, I've told you at the outset of this, all of our friendships, as deep as they are and as lasting as they are, they're also sources of real pain because none of us, none, we're all sinners. We're all sinners in this room. And one of the places that, that friendships can, can become places of deep hurt and deep wounds. Jonathan and David show us this beautiful portrait, but maybe you're sitting here in the sanctuary and you say, hey, I, I know some, some friends that, that didn't keep their end of the, the covenant, didn't keep their end of the bargain here. And so even this message brings out some, some real hurts in your life. And I just want to remind you as a child of God, that all of our human relationships will be relationships that are forged not in the Garden of Eden, but in the zip code of the sin that so entangles all of our walks this morning. So your friend that is a human, family member, coworker, person you've known for a decade or known for a few years, they are not perfect, no doubt. But I want to point you just in, the, in the, the last words here, I just want to point you to the greater friendship that we are able to have as sinners who are redeemed by the grace of God. You think of James chapter 2, verse 23 that reads, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called what? A friend of God. Isn't that amazing? That we who walk on this earth can have a friendship with the majestic, infinite God who is loyal to his creation. He could have chosen to, to drop creation in the midst of the sinfulness that invaded the garden. He could have chosen to drop creation and after the flood. He could have chosen to drop creation because of the sinfulness that infuses and infects every one of us that are here, but he did, he remained loyal and so loyal that he would send his only son who would display to us what really is the embodiment of sacrificial love as he walked a road that we could not walk, a road of perfection, and he died a death that each and every one of us here in the sanctuary deserved to die. And he stood in our place and he bore it all. Betrayal was nailed upon him on the cross Disappointment nailed upon him upon the cross. And as he was raised on the third day, he invites us 
He invites us by faith to enter into a friendship relationship with the infinite God by the sacrifice and loyalty of his son. And when the spirit of God dwells in you by faith, guess what? He leads you and he walks with you and he guides you, comforts you. He provides a peace that passes all understanding. So I think that's why so many Christians have been encouraged to be able to stand and sing the words of that old hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus. All of our sins and griefs to bear, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Can you, can I, can we find a friend so faithful who with all of our sorrows share, Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray.